Praise God. Man, isn't it good to be in church? Amen. I'm so glad that all of you are here and um, just believing this morning that God is going to speak to your heart and to your life and family. Every time you come to church, you know, you ought to be expecting God to minister to you and speak to you. All of us, uh, if we've given our life to Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. And so it's, it's not, I know it may, you know, if you just look at it from one angle, it may just seem, well, we're coming to hear Pastor Josh preach. Well, it's more than that. And I'm not saying that I'm speaking directly, you know, every word straight from God, anything like that. I'm just saying that uh, anytime I listen to somebody preach, I'm listening for what God is saying to me through that. Uh, now, a lot of what I say, you know, sure, there, there's an element of it that's coming for me, but a lot of what we're going to do this morning is read straight from the Word of God. And I believe any time the Word of God is being read, that there is power in the Word to change our lives, change our perspective. Amen. And some of you, I know some of you, you need some change. My Lord, I've been praying for you. And I think, God, change them. Help them, Lord. No, I'm just kidding. Because I can't do nothing with them. No, I'm just kidding. But no, we all need change. And that's part of why we fast. And that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks is fasting and prayer. And, you know, one of the reasons why we fast and pray is because of the fact that change is very hard. Change can be very hard. And the older you get, it seems like the harder change is. That's why it's important to raise your kids right. Because at a certain age, it seems like everything just starts getting concreted in. And if you don't get certain stuff out of them by the time they're, say, 16, 17, it may be there for life. And to get that thing out, you might need a jackhammer, you know, to get in there and, and break it out. And some of you are nodding because you go, yeah, I married somebody and that didn't get it rid of it. And so now I'm dealing with all those problems. Yeah, or maybe it's you they're dealing with, but y'all know what I'm talking about. The point is, you can act all holy this morning, but the reality is change is hard, isn't it? Especially if you've been a, a certain way for a while. And certain habits and patterns and ways of doing things and ways of thinking. And if you've ever tried to turn over a new leaf, that's not, that's not the easiest thing in the world. I said that to my family the other day. I said I was doing something, you know. I'm just about perfect, but not in every area yet. I'm still being formed and shaped into the image of Christ. And I was doing something that I, I knew I needed to change for a while. So I made an announcement to the family and I said, well, I'm turning over a new leaf. And I did fantastic for a couple hours and then, and maybe even a couple days. And then <clears throat> I did something, I don't remember what. And then one of, somebody in my family, it was one of my kids or my wife, I don't remember who said, how's, that, how's turning over that new leaf going for you? I said, listen, that's the job of the Holy Spirit. You be quiet. No, I don't want to hear nothing about it, okay? <clears throat> but change can be hard, okay? And this is one of the reasons why we fast, because sometimes it takes that. It takes that level of intentionality. It takes that level of, 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 of uh, being intentional to change sometimes. You can't just make a decision. You know, like you come to church and hear a good sermon. You may leave this morning or, you know, maybe another sermon you've heard and you go, yeah, I'm going to change that. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to read more. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be more patient. It's not that easy, is it? You hear it and you go, well, that was good. And you're motivated, but man, come Monday morning, it almost seemed like you didn't even hear a sermon about it, you know, as you get ready to try to change those things. Well, fasting 
prayer and fasting have a way of changing us when change is hard. And it has a way of, of doing things in our life that uh, need just that little extra bit of intentionality to change. So I want to read a passage to you. This is Revelations chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to start there this morning. And this is one of those passages that if you read the whole thing, it can be, it can be quite uncomfortable because it really gives us a reality check about you know where we might be and and what types of things are going on and sometimes we need that we need a reality check and as a pastor I've learned this that there are certain people certain types of people that they actually enjoy getting a reality check they they enjoy being slapped around a little bit they enjoy having their toes stepped on and other people it's like they're the, the most scared they're, they're scared of it more than anything else in the world they don't want to ever be confronted with truth it's like it's I don't know it's very uncomfortable for them and so I just want you to know sometimes the Word of God it's it's like that it's it's a little bit of a reality check and sometimes it's uncomfortable to hear it but you have to wrap the whole thing in in an understanding of how much God loves you and how much God cares for you these these things that we're gonna read they're coming from a heart of love and a God that loves us as a father who disciplines us out for our own good. And so in Revelation chapter 3, I'm just going to read a couple verses and then we're going to go back and sort of look at each one. Revelation 3, 1, it says, And to the angel, or that word is messenger, of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Now, this is a letter from Jesus being written specifically to a church at that time, Sardis. And if you, and if you read these couple chapters in Revelation, there's seven letters written, right? And Sardis is one. Some of the churches were commended, some of them corrected, some of them it was a mixture. But to this one, he says this phrase, he says, I know your works. Did you know that Jesus knows your works? He knows what you do. He knows what you don't do. He knows what you think. He knows your motives. He knows things about you that nobody else knows. He knows things about you that you may not even know about yourself. And, and he makes that point. And actually, he makes it to several of the churches. He says, I know your works. Why is that important? Here's why that's important to me. Because sometimes I hear Christian people talk like our works don't matter. And by the way, that word works, what, what it really means is just it's a broad term for the fruit of your life. It's not talking about like... Uh, you know, sometimes people hear works, they think de doing good deeds, like helping the poor or things like that. Really, in Scripture, the word works, it just means the fruit of your life. What he's saying, what Jesus is saying to the church is, he says, I, I know and see the fruit of your life, every single thing that goes on in your life. And the reason I think this is important to point out is because sometimes Christian people talk like our works don't matter. Sometimes, because of the revelation we have of the cross, and the revelation of what Jesus did for us, it's sometimes you can go 
over in this other ditch where it's like, well, our works don't matter. Jesus paid it all. His righteousness was imputed to us. My sin was imputed to him, so it doesn't matter. Jesus did it all, and, and, God, and I've even heard people say, well, Jesus doesn't see, I mean, God doesn't see my sin. All he sees is the blood. Well, you're taking that a little too far because here Jesus specifically looked at the churches and he said, I know your works. He said, I know them. I'm familiar with them. I see the fruit of your, of your life. And here's the thing you need to understand from Scripture. There is a consistent theme throughout all of the New Testament, and it is this. Yes, we are saved by our profession of faith. However, our works, the fruit of our life, must match the profession of our faith. And any time that there is a, a disconnect, any time somebody's over here saying, Oh, I'm saved. I thank you for the blood of Jesus. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian. I go to, I go to church. In other words, they're saying all the right things but the fruit of their life doesn't match, unfortunately, every time in that situation, God looks at them and he says, no, you're not a real believer. You're not a Christian. You think you are saved and you are not. And that's actually exactly what he says to this church. Look at what he says. He says, I know your works. You have the reputation for being alive, saved. He said, but you are dead. You have a reputation for being alive, saved. He said, but actually, you're dead. You're, you've never even been born again, some of you. Or if you were alive at one time, you are not now, is what he is saying. So this is very serious. Now, I want to pause and say, I am not. Okay, look, if you are saved this morning, living for God, there's no Christian that's perfect, no Christian that doesn't make mistakes, no Christian that doesn't need forgiveness and, and, and a fresh start from the Lord and all of that, okay? So if you're saved in here, I, by no, I don't want this morning to, you to call into question your salvation or anything like that. I really simply just want to point out this, this one fact, which is that sometimes there is a gap between how you see things and how God sees things. And in this case with them I don't know specifically what they were doing okay it doesn't tell us and I think it's dangerous to apply their situation to ours I you know it doesn't really tell us what the problem was here and so I'm so that's not the point but the point is that they thought and others thought he said you have a reputation for being alive saved born again people on the outside would look at you and go man these people are alive for God and he, and he said, but actually, you're dead. So what was he doing? He was saying, there's a gap between how you see things and reality. And what I'm doing is bringing a reality check to you. And remember, he's doing that out of love. Why do you think Jesus wrote this letter? To condemn them? To make them feel bad about themselves? To, to just beat them down and go, you're the worst person ever? Or, or did he do it because he loved them and he's warning them while they still have a chance to change? It's out of love. It's out of compassion. And what I want you to know, when we, when we do this season of prayer and fasting, one of the things that I always look for and want to happen, and one of the things that I want you to seek out and be praying for, is that there will be a closing of that gap between how you see things and how God sees things. That how, how God sees things and how you see things would come into alignment and that there would be no level of deception because that's what deception is. Deception is you seeing something and thinking that's reality, but in fact, it's not. 
You think this is true. You think things are this way, but you're deceived. And God comes along and says, no, this is how things are. This is how I see it. This is the fact. This is the reality. And what prayer and fasting can do, because you pull away from all the distractions, you pull away from all the daily things that distract you and blind you and, and pull you off of your purpose and off of your task and all the things that distract, you pull aside from all of that and you get in a place where you can actually begin to hear from God. And God begins to speak to you and he says, hey, I want to talk to you about this. I want to correct this. I want to change this. Because if you keep going down this path or you keep going that, down this direction, it's not going to end well for you. And so out of love, I want to I talk to you about this so that we can change this, we can correct this, we can get this right. And so in a time of prayer and fasting, God can begin to help you close that gap where you see things the way that he sees it. Instead of living in this delusion about the way things are. And if you haven't figured it out, this is a big problem for humanity. Living in this delusion that they've created. There were many in this church that were living in that delusion. They thought everything was fine. And by the way, one of the things that can contribute to that delusion is the way everyone else feels about you. It says they had a reputation for being alive. In other words, every person they talked to gave them a pat on the back and said, Man, you're great. You're awesome. You're doing fine. But God was saying, No. No, you're not. You're not doing fine. And it doesn't matter if man has a high opinion of you and your reputation with man is good, but you, your reputation with God is poor. It doesn't matter. So what fasting can do is pull those things into alignment. And that's one of the things that's going to come out of this prayer, of this time, of uh, in this season of prayer and fasting. So the first thing Jesus said to them is he said, I know your works. And then he said, you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Verse 2, wake up. Everybody say, wake up. This is another phrase we see a lot in Scripture talking about spiritual sleep spiritual slumber in scripture okay you've got you've got almost three states of of uh, spiritual existence that people live in he mentions all three of them right here but you see this all throughout the new testament people are either alive and awake or they are dead over here or they're asleep somewhere in the middle and, and other places that in, in, this, in Revelation, he calls it being lukewarm. And usually, asleep refers to Christian people that are alive, but they've been lulled to sleep. And so they're not dead yet, but they're in that middle place where they're in danger. And you're going to see he addresses this right here in this passage. And so his call to them as believers, those that are asleep, he says, wake up, wake up. Come out of your spiritual slumber. You've been lulled to sleep by the, the, the sin of the flesh. You've been lulled to sleep by carnality, by entertainment, by indulging the flesh, by the spirit of this world. You've been lulled to sleep. And he said, you need to wake up so you can see things clearly. And look at what he says. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. So he says, there's some things in you. They're, they're on their way. You were alive. And he said, now you're asleep. And he said, there's some things there that they're about to die if you keep going down this path. You keep going this direction. 
living in this place of being lukewarm and apathetic. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one? Or y'all know what I'm talking about? How, how many of you have ever experienced in this your life where you had a passion for prayer at, what, at one time, but where is it now? You had a passion for worship. You had a passion for the word. You had a passion for the lost, but where is it now? Are you content to just go on data and just let that thing on a backward slide go down, 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 further away? Here's what he says. He says, you need to wake up. And you have to strengthen what remains and is about to die. If you keep going on this same path, he said, it's going to end in death for you. He said, but it's not too late to wake up and strengthen what remains. And, I, and see, this is what, these, these words are words of action. Wake up and strengthen. How many know that requires action on your part? That, that's a way of saying, get up off the couch. Okay, get up off of your Tiny, okay, get up and do something, okay? Quit just letting going with the flow in the spirit of this world because I'm going to tell you, if you just go with the flow, it's only going one direction. It's going to take you further and further away from the things of God. The only way that you're going to move closer to God is to go against the current, against the flow, against the spirit of this world, and it's not... It's not pleasant, it's not fun, it requires work, it requires energy, it requires effort. These are all words people don't like, that sometimes save people don't like. Oh, it's all by the grace of God. Listen, it's not all by the grace of God. Peter, Peter said, Paul said, hey, this thing requires effort. He said, Peter said, make every effort to add to your salvation. And then he lists a whole a whole list of characteristics that we need to be adding to our salvation. So no, it is effort. Paul, when he was talking, he said, I worked harder than all of you. He said, I worked harder than all the apostles at this thing. So no, there's effort involved. And if you just are passive about it, you're going to just go with the flow, and you're going to end up in this place where, he, where God is saying to you, hey, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Have any of you ever tried to wake somebody up that sleeps like a brick? And you're shaking, you're shaking, and they don't wake up. And you turn the light on, and you shake, and you shake, and they don't, and they don't wake up. There's some people in that spiritual state. I could preach at you. I could yell at you. I could spit at you. I could, I could shake you physically. I could do every trick in the book, every preacher trick in the book to try to motivate you to get you moving. And some of you just sit there like this, just nodding off, nodding off. Spiritually asleep, almost dull and immune to the Word of God. Nothing moves you anymore. Nothing shakes you anymore. Nothing pricks you anymore. Nothing convicts you anymore. Listen, that's a dangerous place to be in. That's a dangerous place to be in. And one of the ways that's produced is by sitting in a church service year after year after year and never applying it through action in our lives. Actually, what James says is that just hearing the word only and never doing it leads to deception in our lives. So Jesus is writing, and he says, wake up and strengthen what remains. Some of you, some of us in here, we need to heed this as a word of God, not to, to the church of Sardis, but a word of God to us directly. That I need, there, there are some things in my life that I need to wake up and strengthen because they are on the verge of dying. He says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God so there were some good things in their life 
But there were other things that needed to wake up and be strengthened because they were on the verge of death. Look at verse 4, Revelation 3, 4. He says, yet you, still, you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So he said, even though we have a church full of people here, that, that many are dead, others are asleep. He said, there's, there's some of you in Sardis, people that have not soiled their garments, and they walk with me in white. So he said, there's a, there's a, there's a remnant, there's a group, in the church that's still going after God. But look at the, the term that he uses, and I think it's so uh, important for us to really understand what he's trying to say. He says, you, and, and the way, what, what stands out about you is that you have not soiled your garments, he says. And when I, when I hear that and read that, what I, what, I, what I understand him to say is that you've not been contaminated by the sin and the spirit of this world. He says, you've kept yourself white. He said, they walk with me in white. They have not soiled their garments. In other words, they have not compromised. They have not bowed to the spirit of this world. Even though they are surrounded by it, day and night, they go out into the world. The sin is everywhere. The compromise is everywhere. The blasphemy of God is everywhere. It didn't get on you. And then, not only do you fight it out there, apparently you come into the church... And you got people in here that are dead and sleepy. But he said, you still have a group of people. He said, even in spite of all of that, you've stayed white. You've stayed hot for God. You've not allowed yourself to be soiled, to be contaminated by the spirit of this world. And all I can tell you is, is that I, I think in every generation and probably in many churches, this is the picture. Not in every church. I believe there are certainly churches that the majority of people are on fire for God and, and living for God and sold out for God. But I'm going to tell you, the further we go and the longer we go in this thing, the trajectory that our nation is on, the trajectory that things are on, I'm going to say more and more, this is what churches are going to look like. Unless there's a revival and things turn around. And here's why. Because more and more believers, more and more believers are yielding to the spirit of this world. They're yielding to the spirit spirit of this world in the way that they entertain themselves in the things that they inundate themselves with they're they're yielding to the spirit of this world in the way that they think on very important topics and subjects that the bible speaks very clearly about and th when that happens what what you're doing is you are soiling your garments and that's what he's talking about here how many of you know that as a believer you are called to be separate you're called to be separate. You're called to live separate. You're called, you're called to think separate. You're called to believe and act separate, different. Called to do marriage different. Called to raise your children different. Called to live separate in every, world, in every way. And that's what makes us the light of the world. If, if, if the light looks just like the darkness or is as dim as the darkness, it's not doing any good. He says that about the salt. He said, you're called to be the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, it's not good for anything. So fasting is a time to realign all of this, all of what we're talking about. Fasting is a time to set aside time for God each year and say, I've gotten off track, but I'm getting back on track. 
I've, I've, I've slipped up here. I've, I've some, there's some habits here that need to be looked at and adjusted, and I'm getting back on track because I understand this tendency in this process. Are you aware, <clears throat> as a believer, that every, every believer has this potential, okay, and this, this possibility in their life that you can go from hot to sleepy to cold? You can go from hot to lukewarm to cold. And the Bible talks about it. Jesus warned us about it in Matthew 24. He said in the last days that things would be so difficult, that they would be so hard. He said that the love of many would what? It would grow cold. And the word for love there is the word agape, which is the love of God. So we know he's talking about believers. He says the agape love of many would grow cold. He didn't say it would, it would happen overnight. He said it would grow cold and that's this process being described here it doesn't usually you don't go from hot to cold overnight it's a it's a long slow road of growing cold through compromise through sin through through seeing things in your life and never repenting never adjusting and that's why I believe fasting is so critical because it interrupts that process where a believer has a tendency to be moving away from God, <clears throat> it comes in and it's like a shock to the system. And it says, we're putting a halt to the whole thing and we're going back the opposite direction. We're cutting out these things, we're stopping doing this, and we're going to institute some new habits and we're, we're turning the ship, which can be hard to do. And what does it do? It reverses that process where <clears throat> you're, you're slipping into that place of slumber are being cold, you're losing that fire, you're losing that passion, and, he said, and, it, and it turns the ship, it turns it back the other direction. And listen, your flesh doesn't like it. As a matter of fact, if you're sitting here, and there's something in you that's a little agitated, something in you just like, I don't know about this fasting thing, I can promise you that is not your spirit talking, because your spirit loves God, loves the Word of God, wants to go after God, wants to pursue God. So what is it? Well, it's your flesh. Your flesh and sin nature is aggravated right now as you begin to think about all the things that you need to change. How many of you ever had to do this maybe with a child, one of your children, or maybe even a pet that you wake up one day and you go, things have gotten out of hand. And we are about to, we're about to change some new things. I know I grew up in a home where regularly it felt like one of my parents, mostly my mom, would come in. We're having a family meeting. There are some things that are about to change around here. Y'all ever said that? Yeah, because you look around and a lot of things have gotten off and we have to correct it and get the ship going a different, a different direction. And when that happens, there's going to be kickback. Your flesh doesn't like it. Your flesh wants to sleep in. Your flesh doesn't want to pray. Your flesh wants to veg out. Your flesh wants to feed itself continually with food and entertainment and all of these things. Your flesh is a big, fat baby that just wants to be served and fed 24-7. And if you let it, it'll dominate your life. And so that's why the Bible teaches us about this process where fa what fasting does is it tells the flesh, the sin nature, it says, you are not in charge, you are not in control, and you will not rule my life. So for a season, you are going to shut up. You're not going to get what you want, every little thing you want, you're going to suffer. 
You're going to suffer. And while you're suffering, I'm going to be feeding my spirit. I'm going to be strengthening my spirit. I'm going to be getting into a place where I can hear from God. And I'm telling you, if you will do this, it'll change your life. If, and, and no, not half-hearted, not little, oh, I'm going to, I'm not going to, I've seen, the, I, since we've been doing the fast, I've seen the funniest things, funniest things in the world. People say, you know, well, I'm not going to eat, let's see, for the fast, I'm not going to eat any hard candy. I'm like, you're still eating candy bars and cake? And, yeah, but hard candy, that's my, that's my sweet spot. No, I'm still going to eat this other. I'm like, come on, you're not serious. You're not serious about this. And I'm not going to tell you specifically what to do. Okay, but you, but I'm, I'm giving you the principles here and the foundation of how you ought to be thinking about it. And all I can tell you is what you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. And, and it's not about just making the flesh suffer. It's about making the flesh suffer while we pursue and turn to God. And I'm telling you, if you do this, it can change your life. And at least, certainly, it will change your year. Okay. So, what is the point? The point of all this is there, is there was a gap between how the church of Sardis saw themselves and how God saw it, and, and he was helping them close that gap. And, of course, this is not the only place that we see this in Scripture. We see this a lot in Scripture. <clears throat> in Matthew seven twenty one, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but <clears throat> the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So, again, in this passage, he says, On that day... He said, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I'll look at them and say, I never knew you. That's the gap. That's a big gap. That's a big gap. Can you imagine living your life saying, Lord, Lord, I love and serve God. I follow God. And you get, and he, said, he looks at you and says, I never even knew you. Now, that's a gap. That's a big gap between the way you saw things and the way reality is. Now, He's not talking about someone that's genuinely saved, all right? So don't, don't think that, um, well, I'm here, I'm, I love God, I'm, you know, I, well, what if he says that to me? He's not going to say that to you if you're genuinely saved and born again. That's not what he's talking about. But he was talking about a type of religious person that acknowledges God, but there's no fruit or there's no, he, he's not truly Lord in their life. They don't live for God, they live for self. And they even hold ideas and beliefs that are opposite of what he says in his word. Let me tell you this about a believer. A true believer, anything they see in the word of God, they submit and yield to it. You, you can't, Jesus and his word cannot be Lord of your life if you hold an opinion, and then one day you see in the word of God, uh, God's opinion, and it's different than yours, and you go, well, you know, and you explain that away. A, a true believer doesn't do that. A true believer says God's opinion is supreme above my opinion and every other opinion. And, it, and I submit it under that. So that's what he's talking about. When he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Here's another way of saying that. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who actually I am their Lord. It's not enough to just say, Lord. Your life is what proves whether he's Lord or not. It's not enough to just say it. Your life better prove it. Amen? Amen. We see this with the parable of the ten virgins. Not going to go through that, that whole passage, but same thing. You had ten virgins all looking for the return of the Lord. Five were ready, five were not. What did he say to the five when they, when they knocked on the door? He said, I don't know you. 
I don't know you. So there was a gap between what they saw and how God saw. And again, not trying to scare anybody out of their salvation. I just want you to understand that prayer and fasting, this is a season of closing that gap. Because in every one of our lives, there's likely a way that you see it and a way that God sees it. And through a season of prayer and fasting, we can close that gap where we see things the way God does. And do you understand how much safety is in that? Can you imagine living your life in a delusion and wrong about only to find out later that you were wrong? I don't want to wait until I meet God to find out that I didn't see things right. I want to know now. And I believe through, the, through a season of prayer and fasting, we can accomplish that. Now, I want to give you three things that, uh, that I believe should be happening during your fast. First of all, fasting is a time of evaluation. Fasting is a time of evaluation. It's a time where you evaluate your life. You evaluate your relationship with God. You evaluate the way that you're living. You evaluate the direction in life that you're going. You evaluate your purpose. It's a time of evaluating everything and involving God in the process and saying, God, David, David prayed like this. God, is there anything in my life that you want to talk to me about? Is there anything in my life that's not right? Anything that's not correct? Any relationship that's not right? Anybody I'm holding unforgiveness toward? Is there any sin in my life that you want to deal with and talk to me about? Is there any habits or weights in my life that you want to talk to me about that maybe I need to change or get get rid of it's a time of evaluating and so many people never take the time to stop and evaluate their life I'm talking about a thorough evaluation what you're doing how you're living what direction you're going and I'm gonna just tell you from my experience I do this every single year I do it in, I do it for my own life and family but I also do it for the church and, I, and I, every year, I don't assume that the church is supposed to just keep doing everything that we've done for the last five years, last ten years. Every year, I pray and evaluate and I say, God, are we supposed to do this this year? Are we supposed to do life groups the way we've been doing them? Are we supposed to do kids ministry, youth ministry the way that we've been doing Are we supposed to do the adult service? Are we supposed to be involved in missions with the mission people that we've been involved with? Every bit of it is evaluated and put on the table every year. God, is this what we're supposed to be doing? And the things that come out of my fast, they will direct my whole year. I'm, I mean, the reason why we built the student center in phase two in 2023 came out of the, the time of prayer and fasting. This is the year. This is the time to do this. Didn't do it the year before for the same reason. Because we, because we felt like the Lord wasn't in it. This year, at the beginning of this year, we got the green light to go ahead and do it. it. It's always submitted through a time of prayer and fasting. Lord, what is the direction? What is your heart? Why? Because he's truly Lord. He's in charge. And if you're living your life like you're in charge, how many of you know you're Lord? He's not Lord. If you never stop and say, God, what do you want? If you never stop and pray, God, what do you want for my year? What do you want for my life? Then you're Lord because you're just making all the decisions. You're never asking him. That's why he says there's many who will say, Lord, Lord, but there's only a few 
that actually live as if I'm Lord. So fasting is a time of evaluation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27, Paul's been talking about the Lord's Supper. He's been talking about communion. And I want you to hear the way he talks about this. This is verse 27. He says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Did you know as a believer that you should be examining yourself from time to time? Evaluating yourself? Examining your heart, your life? Paul says that we should do it before communion. We should examine our life. He says, let a person examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Wow. Think about what he just said. He said, if you would take time to judge yourself, he says, you will not be judged. By who? God. He said, if you would take the time to judge your own life and make corrections, he said, you will then not be judged by God. Why? Because when you stand before God, you will have already dealt with all the stuff that should have been dealt with. Through a process of examining and evaluating and judging your own life, which the Holy Spirit will be involved in helping you with, pointing out those things. He says, if you judge yourself... He says, you won't be judged by God. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Basically, that's another way of saying the same thing. He says, when you take time to judge yourself, God gets involved helping you judge. And then you're disciplined by the Lord in the here and now. He said, when you do that, he said, you will not be condemned along with the world. When? On the day of judgment. There's a day of judgment where we will all stand before God and answer for our, for our lives. And he says, if you judge yourself now, you will not be judged then, along with the world. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. So it's a time to evaluate things in your life. Also, it's a time to listen. It's a time to listen. To seek God, get quiet before God, remove distractions from your life, and begin to listen to what God has to say to you. Because yes, you, you do, we do serve a talking God, a God that communicates with his people. It's a time to listen. John 10, 27 says, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. In verse 5, earlier in the chapter, he said, A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. If you are one of God's sheep, yes, you can hear his voice. Now, sometimes it's hard to hear because of how all the clutter and all the distraction and things we have going on in our life, but but fasting helps us to take time and pull aside and get in a place where we can hear from God. So it's a time to listen. And finally, it is a time to set the tone for your year. 
for me personally, these 21 days will end up setting the agenda and the tone of my entire year. Uh, how many of you know there, there's a lot of things we can be doing, a lot of things we can be involved in? There's, a, there's, there's just hundreds of things that any of us could be involved in. What do we do? What do we not do as a church? Just hundreds of things, hundreds of great ideas, things we could be doing, people we could be helping, places we could be going. What, what, who decides? What, how do we set the agenda of what gets done, what doesn't? Through a time of prayer and fasting, we seek God and find out, what am I supposed to be focusing on this year? Listen, if you're a parent and you have kids in your home, you have, you have teenagers in your home, you have young kids in your home, God may begin to speak to you about this being a significant year in one of their lives. That's saying, hey, this is a critical year for them. It's a critical year. And if you just go about like everything's normal, this is a year that's going to make a difference in their future. And, and you can adjust as a parent. Listen, that's the advantage of having God in your life, having the Holy Spirit in your life. So usually for me, there's going to be three to four maybe five things, but usually three to four big things that God says, this is what I want you focusing on this year. A lot more is going to get done, but these are the things that sort of guide me for the year. That can be personally, and usually I do both. I'll write a list of things personally and, and things for the church that I believe I'm supposed to accomplish and get done. You can call them goals if you want, but they're bigger than that to me. I, it's instruction to me of things that I need to get done and things that I need to accomplish personally. Colossians 3.2 says, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. And prayer and fasting is a shift in that, where you take time to pull your mind and your focus off of just all the earthly humdrum, you know, stuff that's going on, all the mundane life that's just happening. Those are, that's your mind being set on the things of this earth, he says, but set your minds on the things that are above and not on things that are on the earth. This season of prayer and fasting will help you direct, redirect your eyes from just the, all this stuff going on and put it on the things of God, and it'll help set the tone for your entire year. Amen?